welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, number, oh, I lost, 87? Yep. Maybe? Yep. I'm your um, host, Brian Hines. It is 87, you're correct. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks for helping my credibility there. <laughs> Joining me this evening is, of course, Mac. Hello, everybody. And Ian. Hey, people. And, and this is incredibly awesome to have back Kimberly. Hey, I'm back. I'm still alive. And Terry. Hi, everyone. What a crew is this? Hey, you guys, do you know that we, um, we got an, uh, we got an award for our podcast? Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, um, uh, the Peaceful Mind Color Elite certification from the National Association of Holistic Wellness in New York. Oh, okay. I had no idea. <laughs> okay. And, that's, and, that's highly is it a, is it an right, award in and, irony? Right. Well, nobody should look that up. Just trust <laughs> me that we got that award. And we beat out how many people for that award? Was it millions? Millions of people for that award. Yeah. And don't look it up. Just trust me. I'm sensing that this is what the podcast is really all about. <laughs> what? Anyways, how is everybody doing this evening? Doing great. Yeah. Doing all right. Doing all right. <laughs> doing one person's doing great. One's doing all right. You know what? I, I'm excited for the energy of this show. You guys are really on top of it. It's hot. You can trust me that it's too hot to be yeah. too energetic. Well, it, it is a it is a little warm, isn't it? Hey, but you know what? I was just in Houston, and the air is thick down there. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a oh, yeah. and, and humid. There's a smell to the air. It's probably not quite as thick as what they get in China. But well, I don't know, and it's not as thick as it. I think it will be later. I guess a, you know, it was only like forty seven percent humidity while I was down there. So it'll be worse when I go back. It is very different, though. I, I remember going to places like, um, well, I grew up in, on, on the East Coast, and there was just so much more humidity there. And I didn't, it didn't bother me then, but now I go back and I feel like I'm swimming in the summer, like just walking. Right. It's like, oh. well, I remember as a kid going to Florida and you just come off the plane and you can smell it. Right. That's how Houston was. Yeah. Yeah. So. How far east did you go, Kimberly? Well, I lived on Long Island growing up, so it was, it was fairly east while keeping your feet dry. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, did you go further than Long Island? Because that could explain the sens- the swimming sensation. Yeah, that's what, no, I, that was still on the dry land. But you know okay. what? Speaking of that, can I tell an, a funny story? So, of yes, course. I can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was my 20th college reunion this, this past weekend, and I, I wound up not being able to go. But um, a lot of my friends did, and some of them live out here. And uh, they sent me pictures. So I, I went to school in Southern Maryland, and we were right on the beach on, like, basically a peninsula. Gorgeous, gorgeous campus. And we had a place that was – there was a big old cemetery that dated back from, like, the 1600s. And then you went down this path, and you went down to the beach. So this was, like, up on a cliff above you was the was the graveyard. And down at the beach at the very end of the point, um, just about maybe six or seven feet from the water, was this huge wooden cross. And we called it Church Point. And it was, you know, we went down there and we hung out all the time in various states of intoxication. And uh, I just have very, very fond memories of it. Anyway, the funny part of the story is uh, I got pictures from my friends who went down there. And Church Point is now about eight feet into the water. It's now on a platform that you have to not quite swim out to, but you it's not on dry land anymore. And apparently we have – so I said something about it. To my friend, and, and he wrote back, and he said, yeah, we are old enough to actually see, you know, uh, geographic changes taking place at our old school. So wow. I just thought that was 
that that kind of has for me summed up what it means to be 20 years out of school is that the old place I used to party is now underwater. <laughs> Crazy. I, I'm looking at a meme right now that's perfect. Destructive weather is God's wrath. There must be a lot of gay aliens on Jupiter. <laughs> Very nice. All right. So, uh, do you have some announcements for us? A few? I, I do. I'm all set to go now. Let's, let's, so I realize that this may be very last minute for some people, but I wanted to let you know, speaking of um, changes, climate change. We're doing a, a lecture by Dr. Paul Bellinger at The Hub on Wednesday the 12th at 7 p.m. Uh, he's an amazing speaker. Definitely try to get out there if you can. Thursday nights, as always, are our movie nights. The ones coming up soon are Falling Down, which is a Michael Douglas film. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a great um, movie. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen that in forever. Uh, Ricky Gervais's The Invention of Lying. And then The Revisionaries, which is a documentary about stuff we've talked about here before, about the Texas school board and the, the people who are basically trying to change things. Um, so all good movies. Um, come out and check them out if you can. Um, other things going on, we do the Coffee and Community on Sunday mornings. I definitely uh, suggest people come out for that. On Sunday, June 16th, is the Humanists of Colorado's June Picnic and Entertainment. Uh, we're going to meet over at the Hub and then go down to Curtis Park. At, uh, that starts at 6. Come on down. Um, somebody on this podcast might be getting voted in as president of the Humanists. So come and see that. That would be fun. The following I week... I, nom- I didn't even know I was nominated. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So <laughs> it's going to be very exciting. You should definitely show up. All right. Uh, <laughs> on Wednesday, June 19th, uh, the newly formed Americans United against the church... Uh, for the chip... Ugh. Americans United for the separation of church and state is going to be having their first Denver meeting on Wednesday, June 19th. Um, the people getting that together are really excited about it. So that's another one to come out for. Um and then another one I just set up that I'm, I'm kind of excited about. It's a secular meditation group. They, they're, they're calling themselves, um, what are they calling themselves? Enlightenism. It's a new form of basically getting all the benefits of meditation, you know, the relaxation, the calming, the getting to just kind of settle down without all the woo that you usually get. There will be no chakras being opened, no third eyes being meditated upon. When they talk about energy, it will be clearly not some kind of made-up chi or anything like that. Uh, I'm kind of excited. We haven't seen anything like that in a long time. Yeah, so I was just going to oh sorry I was hey, just going to mention I heard on cognitive dissonance podcast that they're going to review the revisionaries too so it may be kind uh-huh. of interesting to check out their review and or go go see the film too with you guys yeah I actually I, I I saw it at a film festival last year and the director was actually there he did a fairly good job of not insulting the hell out of the people he was interviewing but um, he found it a really odd kind of thing I mean they're they're wacky. Yeah. Um, but I, it's definitely an interesting movie. Okay, going into July on the 9th, we've got a uh, talk about evolution um, with former creationists um, who have since learned better. Uh, <laughs> so that's on that's on a Tuesday night. Um, and then the other big thing I want everyone to absolutely know about is the Colorado Secular Conference, which is going to be a one-day conference on July 20th. Uh, we've got people coming in. We've got Catherine Stewart, who wrote The Good News Club, uh, um, Seth Andrews from The Thinking Atheist, Elizabeth Cornwell from the Richard Dawkins Foundation, and I am working on a Nobel Prize winning scientist. I'm just waiting for a 
definite before I want to announce her, but um, it looks pretty good. Should be an amazing day. There are tickets are twenty dollars for that one, which is amazingly cheap for what we're doing. Um, but check out co for Colorado secularconference.org for all of the updated up to date information. It should be a really great great day. All right, Very and cool. that's your events. <sighs> wow. So uh, Ian and I just got back from Comic Con. Yeah, that was a blast. Yeah, I had we, fun. Yeah, we had a good time. I saw some of your pictures. They looked awesome. I was over at the People's Fair, and sometimes Comic Con people would drop by the People's Fair. And, I, I uh, bought the costumes were awesome. I bought a fez with a Tesla coil on it. <laughs> it's pretty oh, awesome. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, so that was fun. We had a good time there. Except for I, I did want to, you know, I, I I did get to see William Shatner, and nice. what a dick. Did he get you a good well, deal on a hotel room? Honestly, I think Felicia Day was more popular than William Shatner. I he hope had so. Long lines all weekend long. I mean, we my boy that she's the only one my boys wanted to see because they really loved Doctor Horrible sing along blog. My oldest one um was really into the Guild, mm-hmm. and both Friday and Sunday they were Captain Hammer and Doctor Horrible. Yeah, and they really wanted to meet Felicia Day. And we're like, you know what? If we wait till Sunday, the lines probably die down. And we should get into, uh, you know, it shouldn't be that bad to see her. The line was still big on Sunday, and we actually almost missed out because she had to leave early to catch her plane. But, um, you know, we, we, we were past the cutoff point, but her manager actually came up and said, Hey, listen, you know, I see you guys are big fans. We're going to try and go through this and do everything we can. You know, she really loves, the, you know, the fans. And it still didn't look like because it was taking too long. Finally, um, the, the cl- crowd had cleared. My wife actually walked up near her and said, could you at least wave to the boys? And she saw him and said, no, I'll come over and you can take a picture of us with the boys. That was really cool of her. Yeah. That's well, terrific. I also yeah. got – yeah. So I got to see George Takai as well. Was who, he cool? Yeah, he's cool. Uh, you know, okay. he, but here's, here's the problem with both of them is that – they're over Star Trek, right? They've moved on. They're doing other things. That's not particularly what they want to be talking about. They have other things, other projects that are going on. But it, it was interesting the way that, um, so, you know, George Shakai is, is a pretty liberal guy, right? And, and he, somebody asked him about working with Shatner and uh, Leonard Nimoy. And he goes off about Leonard Nimoy, how wonderful he is and how politically compatible they are. And then he, and then he's very coy about talking about Shatner, just basically, well, He's a good actor, but basically he, yeah. he likes to hog the, you know. He likes oh, no, everything I heard about, the two of them really yeah. didn't get along. Right, and and nobody left that that auditorium for George Takai till the very end, where it was Shatner, man. It was I, it was just streaming out attrition as he talked. Well, more and more people just left. Well, it was interesting because on Saturday, Will Wheaton and Felicia Day actually walked through the dealer's room. And they, you know, we just happened to um, see him. It's like, oh, that's cool. Quinn, look. And so me and my son kind of followed them for a little bit. And it was just them, Wheaton's wife, Felicia Day's manager, and I think one or two people from the con, you know, escorting them around. On Sunday, right before we were ready to leave, um, William Shatner's rushing through. And he had like this whole posse of like a dozen people clearing the aisles for him. And as if he was royalty or something, like, okay, there's definitely a difference in yeah. the way they want to be treated here. Yeah, but here's the thing. So they asked him, somebody, he started talking about Star Trek V and how he want, he, what his vision of this was supposed to be. And it was supposed to be basically 
um, them looking for God and, and they end up in hell chasing Satan. And it's like, what the heck are you talking about? And, and he was talking about how he, how, how and he was talking about compromise and how sometimes, you know, compromises are not a good thing or whatever. And it's like, and then the other thing that he said that, that to go along with this is basically that, you know, that scientists are bluffing us and that, you know, we're going to find out we can go faster than the speed of light and that Einstein was completely wrong. He's completely faith based. I mean, it's just, and, and it's like, he, he, he's doing a talk about how Star Trek changed science, but he's kind of anti-science. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I was, I was really surprised listening to him talk. Just, just, I mean, you're talking about Shatner now. Yeah. Shatner. What, and just what an arrogant dick he is. So, you know, you should have done, Brian. Should have walked up to him and said, Denny Crane. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I got to tell you, that's that's probably one of my favorite roles of his it, <laughs> it, is on Boston Legal. Um, but people wanted to ask him about Star Trek, and he, you know, he's over it. He shouldn't be at that con. You know, no. if, I mean, he should be somewhere else. He, it should be guys that are that are doing it that are still excited about doing it. One of the one of yeah, the well, like Peter Mayhew. Um, another great interaction me and my family had because we had met him ten years ago at Starfest. When my son was only three, we got this great picture of him and my son playing together. It was awesome. So here we knew it was going to be this. We actually got a copy of that picture to give to him. And that actually seemed to mean something to him. I mean, he, he was looking like, oh, that's great. And, of course, um, you know, he had us take another picture to update it and stuff. And he was just, you know, really into being there with the fans. And it meant something to him. And well, you there, really got there that are, There are actors and actresses out there that understand that their fans are what keep them you know, afloat. Well, and then there are actors and actresses out there who don't understand that. But here's, here's, here's one that's surprising. Well, maybe not. Maybe not surprising. I used to say, you know, Shatner and them are are kind of over it, but, but Colin Baker, man, he is still excited about playing (laughs) the doctor. Every chance he gets when he, when he can play the doctor, man, he does it. And he's still excited about doing it. And he still enjoys talking about it. And he enjoys reminiscing about the past playing the doctor and, and some stuff like that. And, Wow, what a cool guy. Um, oh, it was mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, it so. It was very enjoyable. Anyway, there, there's people that, that are still into the sci-fi that are great to have there. But I, 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 I would suggest these people that, that they find for their headliners, people who are still excited about sci-fi. Yeah. Well, that's why yeah. I think, you know, Felicia Day, I'm positive. Absolutely. Do a bigger crowd. Oh, yeah. Shatner. Well, Wheaton, too, drew a bigger yeah. crowd than Shatner. Shatner. I understand, though, the whole time. too, that I think Shatner had a really bad flight out there because there was something on the wing. <laughs> Something horrible. Uh, <laughs> hey, so was was Chris Claremont there? No, he was um only at the Mile High Con thing on Free Comic Book Day. There's oh, a lot okay. of other um ta- talent, primarily artists. That I got um good twenty or so comics signed by the artists. Nice. Yeah, I have a friend who does uh, the um, Umbrella Corp stuff, um, but unfortunately he wasn't there. He got in a motorcycle accident. Uh, they had a fun stuff. So, they had a little little cage yeah. so you could imprison the people who were infected. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun too. They, they really, and they love all those people. Most of them, you know, they're, oh, yeah. they're in the costumes. They love stopping for pictures. They'll take pictures. Yeah, the fan and, groups are great. I mean, they had yeah. all the Star Wars fan groups along one wall and they are always enthusiastic. I mean, you deal with any of them. They love it. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they, I had a stormtrooper give me bunny ears and the, you know, the kids <laughs> thought that was hilarious. It was just great. So. Awesome. so, all right. Well, I think we better move on here. Okay. So I, I, I start off by by introducing the podcast with a phony award, of course, because what? I want to we talk didn't about. Win? Oh, no, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> Who beat uh, us out? I know it's shocking, right? 
But I want to tell Just for the but, record, people, our credibility is not the highest. No. Please remember that. Do not <laughs> right. use us as a source yeah, for Yeah, no, your, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> technically, our credibility ought to be higher than it is because we at least go in there and, you know, if somebody calls us and on something wrong that we've done, something, something wrong we've said, we go in there and we say, okay, we screwed up. Yeah, so we're a level so, above Fox News, but that's not hard to reach. <laughs> well, we're a level – we're <clears throat> above CNN and all of them, whatever. <laughs> CNN especially. <laughs> there was a comic I was talk I was listening to over the weekend who was talking about a terrorist organization is an organization that tries to get you by modif- to modify your behavior by frightening you. What is Fox News? Right. Well, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so the, my the first article that I have here is ba- is an article talking about. Basically, establishing establishing credibility and, and what needs to be done for to to do that. Well, the first thing it says is drop any reliance on the following common fallacies. I mean, they are I experience it, therefore it must be true. Right. I can't experience it, therefore it can't be true. I have a strong reaction, therefore my opinion is important. And finally, I'm being authentic, therefore I'm being truthful, and so I must be right. So okay. The first things you have to drop if you want to be credible, you have to you know not focus. Okay. On so you know who? So there, they have nine. There's so things. many people that are that are treated as credible that have those characteristics. We'll get to that. Yes, yes, we'll get to that. So anyway, but I thought that these nine things were pretty good, and and they're pretty self-explanatory, and and they make yeah. sense. And the first one is eloquently argue all sides. No, no, both sides of what you're trying to argue. And I, I practice this, and and I, you know, especially when I'm arguing with people about the Bible and stuff like that. I, I like to know more about what they're arguing than they do and know both sides and be able to play and be able to argue both sides. And that, and the other thing is that they clearly know that you know their side. And I think that that does help to build credibility. Associate with credible people. <clears throat> okay. That, that makes sense. If, if, if you're hanging out with people who are liars, you're going to get branded a liar. And, and I think it even goes into if, uh, you see this in politics a lot. If somebody's not smart enough to pick out, you know, this guy's a scammer and is friends with them, you just, you start distrusting their evaluation methodology or criteria, right? Right. So if you're, if you're in finance and you were best friends with Bernie Madoff, but you didn't invest with them, you lose credibility because really you, 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 you're in this industry and you didn't figure it out. I think it's, I think that that does hurt your credibility a lot if you're not if you're not on there or you're with people who who are dishonest sure um never get personal and this is tough but it makes a yeah, lot of sense you, you can't attack the person no matter how, how stupid the thing coming out of their mouth is right. and this no is tough for me attack. i know this is my yeah. pet peeve. even we've been somewhat guilty of that oh we're way guilty of this but you know what we're for entertainment purposes only if limbaugh yeah. can say it so can we <laughs> <laughs> And, and he has more credibility than we do. Terry, you said this is a pet peeve of yours. When when people do it, they this lose is, credibility for you. This is total. This yeah, this is totally my pet peeve. So um, uh, if some if I say something about like pro vaccination or some cultural thing about anti vaccinations, people will attack my credibility as an anthropologist rather than address my argument from the evidence of what I've observed in human behavior, and they lose credibility. Or if I hear right. someone else not arguing the actual arguments but attacking, like Rush Limbaugh, then yeah, well, it's completely. Discrediting. Right. But there is a difference between saying that wrong, that guy is a dick and he's wrong and that guy is a dick so he's wrong. 
Right, exactly. Yep. So, so we usually say he's wrong and he's a dick. Right. <laughs> right. Which right. is often true. <laughs> it is um, amazing how often people I think are wrong are also dicks. Yeah. Well, Kimberly, <laughs> avoid telling people they are wrong. Oh, whoops. That's number four on here. And what, and, and that's difficult to do too, especially when you think they're wrong. It's like, no, that you're wrong. I don't know. That, that one is, that one is, is different. There's a difference between saying, telling somebody, I think you're wrong because, and just saying, you're, you're wrong. You're just wrong because you're a dick. Right. Well, I think that's more or less what it's saying. Say, present your case. You're right. going to say they're wrong. Because, right. Exactly. I, and I think, yeah, yeah. you come off snooty. Right. Oh, you're just wrong because you don't know what you're talking about. It's like, okay. Sure. Yeah, that's not going to help you at all. No. <laughs> uh, where's take, the evidence? Right. Yeah. Where's the evidence? Take the role of the adult. <laughs> so yeah right so yeah, this is uh, this is okay. this is difficult for me this is why i've invited terry and kimberly to act as adults to counter the three of us exactly to counter the <laughs> to counter the children um but this is a large action figure collection to be considered an adult at this point <laughs> but yeah but it says um you have to you have to be unemotional to be mature i don't necessarily agree with that Sometimes yeah. emotion, being emotional and passionate about something can build credibility. Um, but, but coming across as, as the adult or as – another way I might want to put this is, uh, you know, be the good guy. Like don't, don't just hit them when they're down or anything like that. And, and at People's Fair, I actually wound up having like an hour and a half conversation with this guy. True believer, nobody convinced anybody at the end. And at the end, I could kind of sense, you know, that he was still, he was all kind of shook up and stuff. And so I was just like, I was like, hey, you know, I really appreciate just you sitting down and talking and stuff. I think that's awesome. And he went to shake my hand and I was like, ah, let me give you a hug. And that yeah. changed something but in that was, moment. But when it says, I was the good yeah, guy, but when even it though says, I was the bad guy. When it says remain unemotional, what they, what, what I think they really mean is, don't blow your stack. Yeah, well, that's what it's saying. If you look at that last line, yeah. you know, don't you know people who lose control? You need to st- sit back and ask, wait a minute, what am I doing? You know, basically, you know, keep control of yourself, keep it calm. Right. And in this one, you know, I think um, it kind of goes back to as far as remaining unemotional. I think it goes back to don't let it get personal. Also, yeah, it does because yeah. when it when it all comes down to it, what you're arguing is not about personality. It's about it's about evidence. It's about fact based stuff. Right. And this next one is a killer. Don't exaggerate. Which Kimberly had a great um, example of. Yeah. She you know, if I've told you guys once, I've told you guys a thousand times, don't exaggerate. <laughs> I can be prone to hyperbole. Um, but yeah, before before we started recording, I was talking about how I sometimes find it really difficult when the people who are even on my side exaggerate so much or use that worst case scenario situation that I'm like if you're if you're willing to say that kind of stuff and in, in, and not really put it into the proper context, you know, and you're exaggerating your truth claim, you you do you start losing a lot of ground because it's just so easy to knock you down at that point because what you said is too far. Whereas if you just stuck with the truth, yeah, it might be humble, but it's the truth, and you can't really argue with that, right? Right. So, um, the next one, know what you don't know, and this is often. Difficult. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's the purpose in ha- – like sometimes my purpose in having these discussions with people is an explorationary you know, tool to find out what I don't know. And, and – but they, they talk about the Donald Rumfeld thing here. You know, we, we know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. 
and they're saying that he this helped him to bang, gain credibility with some of his critics. Well, quite frankly, he was saying that to, to, instead of saying we were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, instead of being honest, this was a, this was a cover up to say, well, you know, we don't know what we don't know. It's like, well, yeah, but your job is to try and try and isolate the things that you do know and what you don't know yet and, and try and fill in those gaps. And, uh, and that's what I think know what you know what you don't know is, is, is the idea is like, you know, the things that you do know can lead to all these pieces that you don't know and you should identify those. Um, the other one is follow through, which makes a lot of sense. You know, yeah. if you, and, you know what and you say, dude, Gary, that's like dealing with my boys, I straight out tell them I'm not going to promise them anything because I will do everything I can to make something happen, but I'm not going to make a promise that I don't know for a fact I can carry through it because I will admit there's stuff that comes up and I may not be able to do this, but I will do everything I, in my power to. But I'm not going to go and make a pledge that I don't think I can live up to. Right. But here, I do like their example. While the Nobel Prize up there is up there with kick ass kicking, what if Al Gore had taken his inconvenient truth tour by bicycle instead of by private jet? <laughs> Be a role model. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who rides a cargo bike, that would not have been hard to do. There's a band that toured with bicycles. Well, there you go. It's a pos. It's possible. I take the bus. Um, learn when to break all these rules. <laughs> well, okay. There is a time and a place, right? So, but I thought that, I thought that they were good guidelines. And, 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 and even though they seem like common sense, going through and reiterating them, I think is, I think is a good thing to, you know, to go through and refresh and say, okay, that makes sense. So I, I liked that list. So Ian put in here. Well, since we're talking about credibility, and you know me, I love crack.com. Yes, I know. And we, I know. Were, we were joking ahead of time. Right now, it looks like um, all these parody stuff, Daily Show, Colbert Report, and crack.com, are actually doing a better job of, of focusing on the hypocrisy with a lot of this stuff than the actual news agencies are doing. I mean, you can almost find more honesty from the parody stuff than you can from the actual news stuff right now, which is a bit scary. Yeah, but this was a um, you know we're talking about credibility, and this was talking about a a diet soda versus meth dental study that was done, and apparently it had a lot of um, people. Oh, look, that, that proves that diet soda will destroy your teeth just as much as meth will. Well, cracked actually went and did some research and pointed out why um, this is a messed up study. <laughs> apparently, they only had three um, people in their study group. Three um, participants. That's it. That's what the whole study is based on. Three people. Yeah. Um, one of them was a meth user. One of them was a crack addict. And one of them was a woman who drank two liters of diet soda a day for five years. <laughs> uh, and that's how the comparison group. Um, our diet soda drinkers, he also hadn't been to the dentist in, I know it said somewhere on here how long, but it, it, it has like been a while. Years. It was, it was yeah. decades. Uh, so, uh, you know, she wasn't taking very care of her teeth in general as she was doing something as unhealthy as drinking two liters of soda a day. Well, and so, the other two, we don't know what their mental, what their dental health is either. Right. But and chances are it's not great. Isn't that yeah. part of the reason that the meth is such a problem though, is that these people are just not taking care of themselves in general? Yeah. Well, that, not- that they don't mention in here, but yeah, it doesn't go into detail on other possible issues with this. It, it just took three people and said, okay, we're going to compare their dental problems and use that as the basis for a study. Yeah. And it got credit, you know, people believed it. It shouldn't have credibility, but it got credibility. Why? I because love the fact that in the photographs, credit. it says mouth of a methamphetamine user, mouth of a diet soda abuser. 
Yeah, the, yeah, the problem is, is that it's three people. So they, they don't even have a valid sample. There's no control. There's, I mean, it, you could go on and on about the, the, um, methodological flaws in this study. Yeah, it, it's total bullshit. Yeah, but we've seen that in other studies, like the yeah. whole, um, anti-vac movement started on a study that was, at least had more of a, um, group, but there was 12, still a lot uh, of the same. Yeah, 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 three, yeah. What, four times as many people. Yeah, but it, you know, still very poorly done. <laughs> You know, and, and we see that all the time, and it changes people's perceptions. This bad of a study will get people going and saying, hey, look, you have to change the way you're living because this horribly done study that had nothing scientific to it says that you're doing something wrong. So why is that? Why is that so compelling? It's compelling because you look at those pictures. It's the well, pictures yeah. that does it. Well, it's compelling because they make it look scientific also. Yeah. they Sometimes things that look scientific are more more credible than actual science to people. Sure. Right. And the other thing that we see a lot of times is that what the actual um, study shows and what they actually report is different than the press release. And we saw that with um, with the anti-vax stuff, with um, with Andrew Wakefield's. What he was actual study said was different than the press report that went out. The same with like um, the um, – well, in I that case, he was complicit okay, in the yeah, well, misrepresentation. Yeah, yeah. He, he was but, really but bad. But take, yeah. for example, when we when we had uh, Einstein being wrong on that on those uh, that that study with um, the neutrinos. Oh yeah. You right, know, the uh, scientists were very careful in what they said, but it didn't matter yeah. when it got. Yeah, to it didn't the press. matter, and and ultimately Einstein was right. Right. Um, I was going to say the other one was the Princeton study that with the high fructose corn syrup. What 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 was actually in that study compared to what it was reported is completely different, and I've people and I've and I still hear people misquoting that study. Well, I think there's also a lot of people want it to be true. It well, it, it fits with their preconceived notions of what they believed before there was any good or bad science about it. <laughs> right, but yeah. in these cases, if these people are not taking care of themselves, not going to the dentist, not brushing their teeth, and, and are and are involved in behaviors that can be damaging to teeth, you know, with high acids and stuff like that, yes, they're they're going to look like that no matter what. So I, I I don't I don't know what it what it proves or doesn't prove what it what it does prove is you know you should take care of yourself even if it's only three people yeah so <clears throat> are we ready ready yeah. all right so the next one that I have on here now everybody knows who Brian Dunning is right yes yes Skeptoid podcast um I mean all around kind of hero of of the of the skeptics community would anybody right. disagree with that I mean. I won't follow his example right now. Well, uh, th <laughs> there is that. But have you listened to the Skeptoid podcast? I, I used to be one I of have. his supporters. Sure. I used to I used do the, the three ninety nine a month from PayPal kind of thing. Yeah. I used to listen, but I stopped listening a few years ago um, in that whole bias about people losing credibility by association. There was a big kerfuffle surrounding Elevator Gate about a, like an album cover, a book cover, or something he did that was, you know, pretty uh, – Pretty sexist imagery, and I was kind of uncomfortable with that. Yeah, so. well, I, I actually, I, I don't know that, but you know, Dawkins had the same kind of credibility issues at the same time, right? Right. And 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 albeit those are those are bad, and because it was sexism, it's hard. It, it is hard to forgive that. It doesn't that mean that his his facts are wrong, though. It just means well, that I find them slightly distasteful. Okay, so let yeah. me tell you what he did. He essentially using a, a cookie stuffing technique and, and by using a cloaked affiliate link and by using uh, an auto click through, a hidden click through, he forced users to go to eBay and download his affiliate link. And so it looked like they clicked on an advertisement that they never did. 
and then when they would go to eBay, he would get he would get um uh, he would get an affiliate payment. And he he basically and the numbers are they they're claiming at this point it's 5.2 million dollars that he that he got out of eBay affiliate links. And the reason that this became it, um the reason that this that they questioned it is because of how quickly he managed to do it. So basically he you know in in a matter I don't know what the time frame was all of a sudden you know he's made 5.2 million dollars from them and they question him about it and he says no everything I'm doing is within the within the spirit of your regulations uh that wasn't good yeah. enough for eBay eBay filed suit against them finally getting the FBI involved to find out what happened the FBI tracks it back finds out what he does and indicts him for wire fraud which he finally admitted to so now, so not only did he lie, now, you know, we, we, we caught him in this lie. He, he has, he has, um, admitted to the lie in court and, uh, and he'll be facing probably some jail time for this. And to me, this is, this is pretty serious. Um, and because he, he was clearly doing something nefarious, knowingly nefarious. But, lo but looking at the other body of stuff that he does is fairly well researched. So how does, this lie affect everything else that he's done. I don't think it does because okay. his other work, you can go to primary sources and verify it for yourself. Well, and there you go. Because he sources himself well, he's kind of covered his ass. Right. But it has, I, I, you know, again, I, I mentioned just a second ago, I used to be a financial supporter of his podcast because I really liked it. I love the way he put, you know, 12 minutes of stuff together. And like you say, it was extraordinarily well sourced and they were interesting topics. And, you know, he had talked about, you know, this is basically his full time job. And, you know, my $3 or $4 a month or whatever it was, was going to really help this thing happen. And I was like, and I, I was like, yeah, I want to help it happen. And even before this came before he pled guilty, I heard about all this, and I kind of was like, well, let me see the facts first. Um, but now that, you know, I know this guy is sitting on a whole bunch of ill-gotten gained money, I don't know that I want to be a financial supporter of his stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, I, again, does it, does it change the credibility? Do I not believe his podcast? I don't know if I'd go there. Right, but it changes but, how I feel about him. Exactly, yes. It changes how I want to support him. And this is, and I, and I kind of think that this is being passed over. Every time I hear this mentioned on, on, on a skeptics podcast or atheist podcast, they, they glance over it real quick. They mention it and they move on. But, uh, yeah, so it does it, it doesn't make his podcast any less factual, but it's an emotional thing. It makes it less appealing to me. Right. And, you know, it also goes into, you know, we've talked about this on the show before and in other places. You know, he's he's now a bad example of a skeptic in being a um, a good person. You know, like not not that we could, you know, sit around saying, oh, anybody who's a skeptic is a good person. Of course, that's a bit of an overstatement on things. But, you know, when especially when you compare the leaders of our group to say you're, you know, Jim Baker, Jim and Tammy Faye Bakers, you know, like all of these basically crooks who run like the other things, you know, we didn't, we didn't entirely have that on our side. And that felt good again. It, again, it doesn't, it, when you go to credit, if you're only asking about credibility, it's irrelevant. But when you're talking about a movement or how you feel about it, it is different. And, and, you know, it's the same kind of thing like, you know, so people who are still, 
believers and stuff, you know, move on from a, a Jim Baker when, you know, all of his stuff is found out, but moves right to the next one. Right. And, you know, and you're like, you're like, really? I mean, you, you don't suspect that somewhere down the road here, you're going to hear about basically the same crimes and misdemeanors <laughs> going on with this dude. He's got the same MO. He's selling the same exact snake oil. Don't you think, you know, you've, you've seen a hundred guys, 99 of them have been convicted. What makes you think this one isn't? So, so. <laughs> I, I think that what you're, what, what I, what I see you're getting at and what I'm, is that it affects the credibility of our movement as a whole. Right. Even though he, he, his, what he's done is still stellar. He has tarnished everything else we've tried to do. Trying to be upstanding, you know, law abiding, you know, get to, you know, get to the facts type people. Now we have a liar in our midst. Well, and, and, Skepticism, a lot of it, at least what we've done, is about trying to expose scams. Yes. And he's just added himself to the list of scammers. He absolutely he has. And he so and is so is this different from what Popoff does? Yes. In that it, it doesn't have anything to do with the actual work he's doing. But you know, Popoff's yeah, work is yeah. based on him scamming you. Right. In this case, Dunning's work doesn't have anything to do with this particular scam. But it has shown that he is he is ready to scam or capable, capable of scamming. Of scamming, yeah. So he didn't scam. He scammed eBay. Okay, but he didn't it, scam regular people. But he still ran a scam. And you know, you've got to wonder how many regular people he hurt by hurting eBay. Well, that's it. It's mm. easy to hide well, behind a corporation. Right then. there, you go. Although one of the things through this does show, I mean, he probably could have gotten away with it easier if he was scamming people rather than a corporation, which is a bit messed up with where society is And if it wasn't for those right damn now. Snoopy kids, right? He, he, he <laughs> would have been in less trouble if he was scamming people. Popoff yeah. is still running around, right, making millions. Where and where he got caught, and because he scammed a big corporation, they nailed his ass. Yeah, which does say something about where society is. Right. So, so I mean, kind of, kind of the lesson to me here is nail the small guy. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. I, I don't think that was supposed to be the object. That, that's not. The, oh, that's not the lesson. <laughs> I'll, I'll reread them. I'm not them. sure of that. Yeah. I can't. Okay. I can't say that for sure. I don't know. <laughs> right, but isn't that isn't that kind of isn't that isn't that kind of I mean yeah. ironic? It is a lesson to take from it. Yeah. It is a, it's a conclusion a, to reach. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The facts support your conclusion. Thank you. Thank you. It was it was also interesting to watch skeptics kind of defend him when this whole story broke, sort of reading the skeptical blogs and watching people say those kinds of things like um it was a corporation, they didn't really hurt anybody, you know, it doesn't discredit his work, which is true. Yeah, I think we've established that, but I think it, it I think that we've also established that it tarnishes our credibility as a whole. Yeah. It does. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the next one here. James Randi. Uh, living with yeah. Jose Alvarez, his partner. Jose we're Alvarez. Of that part. What's that? <laughs> we're fine with him living with his partner. Yeah, totally. Oh, okay. That, that, <laughs> and yeah, that's not kind of where I'm going here. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, his, it's like his, his husband. Okay. His husband has been convicted of fraud. Um, he, of identity theft. He stole somebody's identity and he used that identity. And it wasn't just to to keep him in the states. He 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 did it, and he hurt this other gentleman. He, he 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 for years. This other gentleman had had financial problems because of this person stealing his identity. And they finally caught up with him. And so the question here is, how, what's James Randy's involvement? Did he know? How does this affect his credibility? 
Yeah, well, it gets a bit tricky. Um, it, well, yes, it does. Then, That's why I brought it up. Right. It's complex. And, I mean, the the guy himself, is he, he claims that um, he thought the identity he bought was someone who was dead, and, and so it wouldn't have, you know, affected any. So, you know, he, okay. he's claiming ignorance there. Um, the, the reasoning given is... Um, because you know, Randy's claiming that there was um, issues in his homeland that were dangerous towards him, and that he needed asylum and wasn't getting it through the U.S. immigration at the time. So, you know, part of this is: do the ends justify the means? Mm. You know, was it the right thing for him to do it together? Because he basically that's the only thing he did. He didn't come and you know, he's not a, like a, you know the 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 stories about legal aliens coming in and just committing crimes left and right. He definitely doesn't fit anything like that on propaganda. You know, he he came in, he the main he's committed one crime that we know of. It's a fairly serious crime, but in the aftermath of that he's been a good citizen. And he's done you know, he hasn't hurt anyone. He's been, you know, leading a from the sounds of it a fairly moral life. Although, you know, admittedly the him being gay is probably going to affect some issues with how he's being treated by, you know, certain groups yeah, in this well, regard. Yeah, well, I, Which, I'm not I, – I actually would like to leave that out of this particular conversation. Oh, but the thing is it's not going to be left out of the issue. Okay, well, there, okay. There maybe, will be groups okay. that will All attack, right. you know, saying, oh, look, it's a homosexual who broke the law and ruined someone else's life. And they will do the stuff we were just – you know, you don't, aren't supposed to do in order to back your case. Okay. And, and you've got to admit, Brian, that – there are some groups that, sadly, the fact that the person is gay will hurt their credibility with the with those groups. All right, I'll admit it, but I hate it. Yeah, yeah. I can it, hate. It, We're not saying and, it's and a it good is, thing. Yeah, and it's also it is extenuating circumstances in a way because you know if it truly was just an immigration thing, if the same provisions that protect straight married couples you know you you go over to wherever you want and you find somebody you want to marry and you want to bring them back you're just fine if you're a heterosexual um but because of our draconian laws that option wasn't available now i'm not suggesting that that was the claimed reason here but it you know, like, he'd really have a hard time if, if those laws were in place where, if, you know, they just simply got married, you know, right. on the books, this whole thing would have been taken care of. Yeah, the, that's that's an interesting point, too. Yeah, he could have gotten out of the country and stayed that way, you know, yeah. but he didn't have that option it was not one of his options, I guess. And, and he's not claiming that it's one of the reasons that it was done. At least right. I don't believe that was a claim. Uh, I don't remember that either. It says his punishable. His crime is punishable by up to 10 years in prison. In the article, it also says that um, that if James Randi knew about it, that he could also um, uh, have some jail time coming to well, him. As in well, in the second article, it um, talks. He basically he got six months house, house arrest, okay, followed by three years of probation. And they have um, the next level is to start talking um, about deportation. Yeah, which is, is boggling to me, because if he because if they were married, we w we wouldn't be having this discussion, right? So that's unfortunate. Yeah. So I don't know. I I, I got you know as we talk about this one, it, I have. I mean, it's a, one guy unfortunately was harmed by this, but I. But it's harder for me to be as harsh on this one as I am on Brian Dunning. Yeah. Well, he, he wasn't out to con people for uh, you know money. Right. Or no, he was, he was. He was just looking for an identity to live under. Right. Yeah. Exactly. To so get a better life. He, you know, and he. He's, it sounds like he still worked hard. You know, he was doing the right thing outside of that one event, which, 
you know, you hear stories like Les Miserable is based off of a guy who did one thing wrong and ruined his life and then has to be running for, for the rest of his life. Yeah. Kind of. And is that, yeah. uh, is that, is that made by, is that, was that one written by the same guy who wrote Les Miserables? Yeah, yeah, don't get my pronunciation. Let's also come back to, to what's really going on here, because we're not really talking about the particular case of this guy. We're talking about, does this affect the credibility of James Randi, right. who has been in the past, well, and still, I believe, one of his big things is the truth is the most important part. It's not how you feel about it. It, you know, if homeopathy makes you feel good, that is not a good enough reason for us to accept homeopathy. We have to follow the facts to their final, to the truth, right? Right. And it, yet, here he chose, maybe for good reasons, maybe not. That's kind of irrelevant. James Randi has shown himself to be somebody who doesn't always do that. Okay. Now, does it do anything but make him human? Probably not. But if that's your whole creed, you know... Yeah, and I guess it screws that, with your credibility. Yeah, it it yeah. does screw with his credibility. So, I mean, once again, we have to. Yeah, I, I, I Kimberly kind of nailed that. But part of that is looking at motivation. Well, I, it doesn't. I it doesn't matter. Like Randy did it for his own personal gain. He didn't do it to con people. He didn't do it to. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Randy you know. did do it for his own personal gain. Everything yeah, he's done he is well, for his own personal gain. His own I personal mean, game. He got to have the guy with him that he wanted to have with him. Okay, sure. but because but, he because he let this he let this stand right that's but, personal gain but kimberly's point is that he's always been a guy that the, the truth is the most important thing but yet he was out there you know he the, he was this he was propagating this lie yeah it's hard yeah. because this is such an issue that it's so easy to have compassion for it you is know? Yes. yeah yeah it is uh-huh. it is uh-huh. And, and i'm asking people to be a little bit more hard-nosed about it for this yeah. particular but, discussion yeah but once more it gets hard because i mean you know we talked about Anne frank last time um, you know, what, what were the people hiding her horrible people for lying about what they were doing? Well, they, they were getting into a different kind of lying. Yeah, they're, still, they're lying we're talking to about protect, yeah, yeah, we're talking about credibility yeah. here. Well, are, are there times where, you know, the lie well, actually does good? It protects people now, it helps them. You're you're saying that the that you're basically saying that are are you equating our society here to the society that existed in the 1930s and 1940s in Germany. Well, the, but the are claim, you saying it's as oppressive? If you're saying what? that, say it. But no, I'm not. Saying <laughs> I, I, I think you. he's saying that the ethics are somewhat relativistic. Yeah, they yeah, are. But one are. of the claims he makes, if you read both articles, I forget which one it's in. One of them, Randy makes the claim that one of the reasons why um, the guy came to the United States was because he was trying to get away from persecution as an openly gay person in his home country. Um, there was a risk of him being persecuted and killed just because of who he was. And so there is a similarity there. And, hey, change the United States wasn't going to let him in. We'll change his identity. We'll get him into safety. We'll protect him from harm. And th- 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 definitely a similarity there. And say okay. we are trying to help him not you know, be persecuted just because he's different from everyone else. Okay, Fair is enough. that? Good, but is the is the court going to look favorably upon that? Are they going to take that into consideration, for, or oh, did they oh, for his sentencing? Fair, apparently, they did because yeah, he got like they probably did. he got six yeah. months and house arrest. Yeah. So all right. So so then I, th- I think so then what we're saying is that there's a time and a place for lying too. Well, yeah, but that, honesty is not all black and white. Okay. There are times where you you know. Little white lies are, you know, fairly common. I, I wish I could find the study on. I've seen some stuff on talking about how often people actually lie within a day, and the majority of people tell something in regards to lie. I mean, 
you're asked, how are you doing today? And you feel like total crap. You know, well, actually, if I say that, I'm going to look like a jerk. Oh, I'm doing all right. <laughs> well, so, and again, I don't I don't want us to comp- – I mean, it's it's an interesting topic, but I don't want us to slide off into an ethical yeah. discussion. Here. Okay. But yeah. Has this affected how you see and trust new information from James Randi? There we go. No. Uh, and I think that on some level it does. Really? For you? For, there might be no. some people, but I, I look at it as there was legit, legitimate reasoning for why they did it. Whether or not it was right, the reasoning behind it defends it. Yeah, and I, and, and for me, personally, I I can totally forgive this incident. And, and I don't, go ahead. I was just going to say I want to hear more about how this is going to impact Max's interpretation in the future. Yeah. Well, I, bottom line is... This is a man who has pretty much spent his career, as you pointed out, he's spent his career debunking and exposing frauds. And whether he knowingly committed this one or whether it was perpetrated upon him and he didn't, he didn't expose it because he didn't catch it or didn't want to catch it, it does kind of make what happens in the future with him kind of suspect. Even if he was yeah. trying to protect this person? Even if yeah, he was how, trying to protect this person. How many of us would um, lie to protect our loved ones? And I'm not saying we wouldn't. In a case like this. Yeah. You know, I'm not where saying we, we know, wouldn't lie right. to protect our loved ones. But if we lie to protect our loved, one, loved ones, should it affect our credibility? And I think it kind of should. If you take the tack that, um, that he didn't know much about it or he was maybe willfully blind to it, I can, I can see the argument that maybe he'll be blind about other things that are close to him too. Okay. Cause that's our, that we're all vulnerable to that. Okay. To, to, and that, well, that's an interesting for that point matter, because oh, if, go ahead. if it's a situation where he's got something that he knows about, but it's a personal thing to him and he doesn't expose it because it's a personal thing to him, there you go. But once again, that just makes him human. I, I think yeah. that we get to a point where we where we it, we're probably expect too much of these people. Yeah, I'm um, not saying that I'm not saying it's wrong to act upon your humanity. But I am often, saying that it can affect your credibility when you do it. But doesn't I, I, this? Doesn't I think this, we often do expect too much of our public figures. Well, yeah, <sighs> they they are only human. But the other thing is, what was I say um, we all have blind spots. Yeah. And and just because now that these blind spots are exposed doesn't mean that everything else that we've done is, is sh- I mean everything that we do should be should be looked at does the evidence support it anyway no matter yeah. who we are. But here's the thing again. Okay. I, and again I want I want to keep bringing us back to the point of this podcast because again ethics and credibility are very very different things and and they're very, I think ethics might be more of a hot topic to talk about. It's interesting. But mm-hmm. again, you know to your, I think what you're kind of going is every statement that someone makes should be evaluated for the truth, for the validity of that statement. But the thing about credibility is you, it's, it's consecutive, not consecutive, it's cumulative, mm-hmm. right? If you tell me 10 lies and the 11th thing you tell me is the truth, I'm probably still not going to buy it because you've identified yourself to me in my experience as a liar. Now, the converse is true, right? If you've told me 10 true things, everything you've ever told me has been true, you are most likely going to be able to get one over on me with that 11th one if it's a lie because you've established credibility with me and my the, the way I evaluate the next thing you tell me is based on the previous stuff. Well, and this is how good con men work. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and all of this comes back to my, the, the, the things that I'm working on, the social engineering and all that. It all ties back into that. And that a good con man and a good social engineer, the first thing that they want to do is establish credibility with you. And, and they do that by building rapport. Yep. By giving you some information that sounds credible. And, and, and that might even be credible. And that probably is credible. And then they hit you with the scam. And they will tell you something that sounds like something that you want to hear. Right. The other thing is, is that if you if you want to get information out of people, the you 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 build credibility by by asking them questions that that somebody who needs to know that information would would ask that, and then you ask, and then once you've established that that pattern, you ask the for the information that you're not supposed to that you're not supposed to get, and you're gonna get it. So establishing credibility also is the mark of a good con man. Which makes it, which, which brings us back to the, to the whole thing. Should we, should we take anything anybody says based on their credibility? No. We Probably not. not. We can't help it. But we can't like, help life's it. Life's too busy. Right. I have to trust my, the people I allow into my inner circle based on my experiences with them, even if it means that every once in a while I will get conned by them. Absolutely. Again, you can only be betrayed by somebody who has your confidence, right? I mean, you know, if somebody, if you meet somebody on the street and you find out the next day that they slept with somebody else, you don't give a crap. Right. But if it's the person you've been sleeping with for the last five years and <laughs> you know, what I mean, there's, there's a different thing there. They've established that yeah. we've made promises, you know what I'm saying? But it's, it, and it's based on past actions and stuff like that. So I do think, I think credibility is a very, very human, maybe not even just human, because I'll bet you can find this kind of stuff in the animal kingdom as well, in which any kind of social animal, that's what you're doing is you're establishing credibility because if you're not credible, you will be kicked out of the society. Well, it's part of establishing dominance too. And, and, and I think you can look That's at it. That's an interesting way of looking at it because I, I think you can do it just based on, again, being able to trust the actions and, you know, in the human case, words but there of is, somebody. There is a social hierarchy that is that is that it becomes established. So maybe dominance s- is the wrong word. Maybe then. it is. Maybe the place in the hierarchy is 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 a better way of expressing it. Right. I guess. I guess if you do it through dominance, you 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 do what that person says, whether whether you believe them or not, just because they're in charge. Right. Is it a, more of an authority? Yeah, maybe. But but here's the thing: is that authority requires credibility in in our society because because if you if you don't rule through an iron fist, people have to have to follow you. And there's different ways to do that too, and credibility is certainly one of them. I guess it's not the only way, but it, but it certainly makes things easier if people believe what, believe what you say. I have credibility at work with my job, right? Because I've established that doesn't mean I'm always right, right? Right. But again, if 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 they find out that you know, look, Brian's always telling us the right stuff about these computer systems and everything. He's he's demonstrated that he's credible, that we should trust him. But they find out that. I don't know. Let, let, let's take a, uh, something against a social norm that you got three wives, right? Something right. that we, we frown upon as a society. Now, you may have a really good reason for it. I have no idea and I don't want to. Uh, but <laughs> when you go into work the next day after that story broke, are they going to trust you on your recommendation for the new million dollar purchase as much as they would have before that happened? It's an interesting question, and the answer, even though it doesn't relate to my job, is probably it probably is going to affect how they're going how they're going to feel about me the next day. 
Even though it yeah. has nothing to do with your computer yeah. skills and your knowledge there, that's un unchanged. But you have now shown yourself to not be a credible person in other areas. And I think it bleeds. I think it absolutely yeah. bleeds into it. I agree. So yeah. is, is credibility necessary to live in society? Hmm. I think that is what society is based on for the most part. The, the, I mean, it's, it's our quiet evaluations of somebody's place in our society is based on, on their credibility, I think, when you, when you break it down. And again, credibility is coming in a number of different ways here. It's not just a truth statement. It's, it's actions. It's, you know. Yeah. If I if I know you pretty well, you know, you know, you can sleep in my guest room if we just met and we haven't established that. You may still have the same exact need for some place to stay, but I don't know if I'm opening my house. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, it's well, the, all those for that matter, trust. if you if the person lacks credibility and they tell you they need a place to stay, you may not even believe that they need a place to stay. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Well, okay, let's let's move on to one more real quick. Okay. Jenny McCarthy. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. That was, that was the point. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Well, I, I guess we're done. No. Um. And and, and, and of course, that what I connect good. to is the, the body count. Um. Now, blood. Brian, you cannot assail her credibility because you are not a mother. Ooh. Ooh. As a mother, I dislike. Her. <laughs> <laughs> ha 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 ha. <laughs> and I'm going to say honestly, the fact that somebody has grown a parasitic organism inside their body given birth to it, and, you know, raised it does not necessarily make them credible. Oh, Mac, this is a whole other discussion we could have about <laughs> mommy credit for childbirth methods and stuff. There's a whole area. Yeah, yeah I, we, it, it we probably could. But <laughs> as far as Jenny McCarthy goes, it does not make her credible as a scientist and particularly not about autism. Right, exactly. But how And many her people... whole credibility about autism is based on... What is it? It's not spider sense. It's mommy sense. Okay. I thought this was going to piss know, me off. The lines coming off her head like that, like the <laughs> Spider-Man comics, but it is mommy sense. Okay. Right. So, so her mommy sense that, you know, uh, that she claimed on Oprah, I, I think that we can say definitively is bogus. Yeah. Okay. And, and really didn't belong in the discussion about autism. And it has just muddied the waters. She muddies the waters. You know, I got I got kind of a bone to pick about Oprah anyway, because <laughs> Oprah has created so many. Oprah has ass kicking credibility. I was just gonna say yeah, but that. Why? Yeah, she has oh my god! But she's created so many people that have appeared credible and then have lost credibility. But she is untarnished. She is fucking Teflon. I know. She gets, it slides off her. Jeez. Okay. Um. You know, Doctor Oz. She she came up with you know she she made Doctor Oz popular. Doctor Phil. Doctor Phil. She made popular. Doctor Phil's not even a doctor. <laughs> or you know if he's a doctor he doesn't have anything to do with damn psychology. Well yeah it's it's pretty bad isn't it? Yeah so I mean so we could I mean but also in the skeptics community we have a particular bias about these people because we hear them speak and it's nothing but garbage coming out of their mouths and you forget the woo. Uh, well, the woo. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's garbage and woo. It's garbage. It's just so bad. So, and, but I, I don't know if it's, a, I, I don't know. It, it, Oprah is, I mean, she's as credulous a thinker as any of them. Yeah. But she's got ass kicking credibility. Yeah. How? I, well, well she's, she's got a TV got, show. 
She has a TV show she's been doing for what now, thirty something years. Well, she stopped doing it, but she, yeah, well, she did, right. okay, but she did like but, uh, like one hundred and fifty years of TV yeah, shows, and, and she's one of the wealthiest women in the world. Yeah. Right, but but here again comes that thing of um, let, let's say she intentionally lied about about Doctor Oz, Doctor Phil, Jenny McCarthy. Let, let's say that these were intentional things, not just misrepresentations in TV, just for the sake of this argument. Okay, even if that's the case, she's doing what. 200 episodes a year for 30 years. She's mm-hmm. got so she, so we have 6000 if you will um cases of her making claims. Now, are all of them correct? No. But are a lot of them correct? Yes. So she builds up a percentage of credibility in this case, right? I mean, if I see it on Oprah, it's got to have passed a couple of things and she has been right about some things. About some so she, things. Right, but but this is where credibility comes in. In my mind, as your average American consumer, which is what I'm frequently called, of course, uh, she she has established enough credibility that until Jenny McCarthy makes the stupid-ass claims that she makes, if she's on her show, she benefits from the credibility that Oprah has established over so many episodes. But remember that being on on Oprah, <laughs> she is a talk show. Her it's not necessarily just because you get to go on there does not make you credible in but, any well, way. We can go back no, to the but, nine... and by the same token, if you're on Jerry Springer, it does not necessarily mean that you are not sleeping with your cousin. <laughs> well, and I but think I would posit that. Oh, sorry. I would posit that there is a special category for medical claims, and that the credibility required to accept medical claims should be higher. The bar should be higher for the for the lay public, and we just eat stuff up from people like this. It should be, but unfortunately, it's not because it's almost, it's we want something that's job. easy and makes us feel good. Right. Yeah. Okay. I I I want to move on because I want to get some of these other things. Ian, do you want to talk about this this high school teacher real quick? Okay, because I yeah. really want to talk about the DSM. All right. Well, this one, uh, the story. Okay, um, this one high school was starting to put, um, give out little surveys that were asking about students' drug use, and this one teacher looked at them and realized that one of the things in them actually said they were supposed to put their name down in these surveys. It wasn't a, um, you know, blind survey. It was actually the school trying to get this personal information from them and basically having the teacher do it. Well, so what did the teacher do? He went in and he explained. To his students, their legal right that, according to the Bill of Rights itself, they did not have to basically testify against themselves. They did not have to give any personal information here that would actually um, incriminate them. Yeah, this which is... actually sounds like the right thing for a teacher to do. I mean, this yeah. is exactly it, it what... is the right thing for a teacher to do. And of course, the school didn't like that. <laughs> and well, but, so, oh. um, yeah, there's a problem here too with them asking for this information without parental consent. The, yeah. the, the, the school, I don't know what the school is thinking. You, know, you, you want to talk about credibility. Well, this school kills all credibility by, you know, I, jumping through all sorts of hoops and say, we don't care about law. We don't care about student rights. We don't care about parents. We're going to decide that we want to know what's going on with the students without doing anything right in regards to doing it. Has and, the ACLU said anything about this case? Have they taken this anywhere? Um, I haven't seen anything else but the initial story. I, I, I won't be yeah. surprised if the ACLU got involved because this is definitely one where the school is saying, we don't care about your constitutional rights here. How dare the teacher actually teaches you you have them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hope there's more to this that, that because yeah. the, the, right now on the face of it, it's absurd. 
Yeah, this is one that I, I could definitely see us following up with. Uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it because the teacher did 100% the right thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, all right, let's I'm, move on. I'm inclined to think he did the right thing too. Yeah. But the, it, it, it seems like the school's, com, the school's belief is that the students probably don't have those rights. Well, they are minors. Which yeah. means that they may not have those rights, but, but you have to go through the parents. Right, but you have to get yeah. parental consent. But let's get more information on that. We should follow up on that later. Let's move yeah. on to the DSM. Let's hit this real quick. Okay. Um, I have no credibility uh, regarding the DSM, but I did do, I did do <laughs> I some reading. You. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not credible. But I did do some reading, and I did put some links in the show notes so listeners can follow up. Um, psychology lends itself to criticism, I think, because um, – it's just a complex issue. It's multiple streams of medicine and culture and people's individual experiences and things like that. So um, recently, there's been a flurry of public controversy following the May release of the fifth edition of the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. This is the DSM. It's, it's, the, it's the catalog that clinicians use to help them diagnose um, mental conditions. Historically, it's been based on clinical symptom clusters because we don't have like blood markers for mental disorders in the way we do for heart disease or whatever. So it's, it's kind of a slippery thing to wrap your, your mind around. It's widely used in the U.S. I listened to a um, Science Friday episode on NPR on May 31st, and the discussion included a practicing psychotherapist named Gary Greenberg. Um, he's an author who's broadly critical of the historical DSM model, and he thinks we should bring more biometrics in now that that science is evolving. His claim is that the DSM is no longer a credible tool at all, um, just because uh, we don't have the biological markers, so he thinks clinicians require or rely too heavily on it. He claims that the mental disorders described in the DSM are mythical constructs, like cultural constructs, which caught my ear. Um, rather than typical physical disease labels. And so he says for a given cluster of symptoms that the DSM labels X, there might be many diverse pathways to arrive at that cluster of symptoms. And calling all clusters of similar symptoms X might be mislabeling, limiting treatment options, and limit research. So I really like um, the mythical constructs idea, and it makes me wonder how closely the evolving DSM, which changes every few years, reflects the evolving social norms of a society. So a few mm -hmm. years ago, a DSM came out that depathologized homosexuality, which had previously been listed as a mental disorder. Um, it, I think that the leading edge, and again, I don't know for sure, but it seems to me that the leading edge of mental disorders lie at the non-functional in your society mark on, on the behavioral spectrum. Well, and, my dad uh, and I had an interesting conversation yeah. over this last weekend. He was talking about um, women hysteria. It was a real mental disease, mm -hmm. what, 100 or so years ago. It's not now, but it was something that the um, stuff was there, the women were suffering from it. But what happened to it? And well, you you know what the treatment for that was? Locking them up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's interesting the way our the psychology changes, and we got into this whole talking about somewhat how when we shift the psychology, we actually shift the diseases that are acceptable, and they become right. more right. common. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like because that's no longer common. No one suffers from that anymore. Well, remember we used and, to have autism. We used to have yeah. um. We used to have Asperger's, and now we have right. autism spectrum disorder. Yeah, yeah. Asperger's though was was like borderline acceptable as an illness because it was it was a uh, functioning autistic. That's why it's a spectrum. Right. Yep. Which it, which is easy to say, right? But for for <coughs> uh, for everybody, when we think of autism, we think of 
the most Brainiac. extreme case, right? Right. So. Well, it's like my son who has borderline OCD. You, you, um, most of the time, you can't tell anything there. But you tell someone he has obsessive compulsive disorder and they picture monk and stuff, you know, the people that right. really can't function. And it's like, no, actually, he can function just fine for the most part. Normally, I'm just picturing you know, your, your son tapping parking meters right now. <laughs> but normally, when he has an attack, me and my wife are the two that are most aware of it. And we kind of, you know, get him off to the side and try and, you know, make sure it's not blown out of a person. But we also do other stuff to make sure, you know, we've studied it some, we know ways to try and deal with him that don't, you know, blow up. But there is a, you know, part of it is we give the, you know, all, all these issues, people want to go to the extreme level of every right. chance they get. And it's like, no, most of the time, the people that have them are not necessarily crippled by them. Right. I mean, they but can function just fine. Remember that, that that this argument is going on amongst clinicians, right? And they understand yeah. that. And, what and the, researchers, yeah. And researchers. And the argument is interesting because they're claiming that, that, it, some of them are well. Some of them are claiming that it's that the DSM isn't necessarily the problem. It's how we're using them that's the problem. That it needs to be used differently in a, in a clinical practice as opposed to as as a research tool. That 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 it, it's different. And ultimately, you know, you have to treat the person as an individual. And y these labels that are in, I mean, it isn't it isn't easy to pick a label out of the DSM and apply it to somebody. It isn't yeah. as easy as saying, yes, this person has strep, give them penicillin. Right. It's so much more complicated. Right. One thing that was, oh, I was Go just going to, I was going to say, um, so I asked kind of some questions about how clinicians integrate the culture of these diseases into their practices on a science-based medicine article. And one of the commenters said that they have a child who would have been diagnosed with autism with DSM-4, but not with DSM-3 or DSM-5. And we have a relative who was diagnosed as bipolar in one state's county psychic system and with schizophrenia in another state. So that kind of speaks to how difficult it is um, even with the DSM and even with some of the biological markers that it are emerging to just integrate this stuff. Right. So perhaps it shouldn't be a diagnostic tool. Maybe, I right. mean, maybe those people are right because even if, if somebody has an issue and, and it isn't in the DSM, it doesn't mean that they don't have an issue. Sure. And just because somebody falls into some symptoms that are in the DSM doesn't mean they have a problem either. Right. Yeah. It's just such a slippery slope yeah. and there's such a stigma attached to being diagnosed with a mental disorder yeah. too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, but how many people do you know nowadays that are on antidepressants? I, that seems to be one of the most common things anymore. I, I don't know how many people have been diagnosed. Well, you're, you're depressive. Here's some drugs. Deal with it. And it's like, I've heard medical people say they should just put it in the water. Right, <laughs> <laughs> but, but also, there's also studies saying that it doesn't work as effectively as we thought it did. Yeah, but I, honestly, I, I I must know about a dozen people or so who are on antidepressants because they, you know, they, they went in, okay, I'm not feeling at all. You're depressed. It's like, really, that that's your whole, to, to me, that seems to be one of the most throwaway diagnostics I've seen. So, Ian, one of the criticisms of the current DSM, of the newest one, is that they seem to be pathologizing grief or bereavement. So where before it was kind of a subcategory of depression that they tended not to treat because it's it's temporal. It kind of works itself right. out over time, typically. Um, but now they're calling it a disorder, bereavement as a mental disorder. And a lot of people have a problem with that. I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, going, going through personal stuff in the last few few months, I've not been my most cheerful, but I'm definitely wouldn't say I'm clinically depressed. And, you know, there, there's been some grief. I, I'm not going to go into everything here, but although it does relate to some of our past podcasts on right to die and stuff, but um, my family's been going through it, and yet 
not a single one of us should be considered clinically depressed because we're mourning over the loss of a loved one. Well, I guess that, that that's an interesting point because grief is okay. There's a certain yeah. amount of depression is okay. We shouldn't we shouldn't treat all depressions. Right. That, that and you know that that's one thing to me. I think is happening a lot with how many people get treated for depressed. Like, oh, you, you know, you're having a hard time in life. Okay, we'll treat it as a psychological thing instead of saying, you know what, it's going to get better. And you know, it just you, life has ups and downs. So, yeah, are we numbing our ability or reducing our ability um, to just to just cope our flexibility, our mental flexibility and agility to cope with a variety of life situations by yeah. by medicating? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm against my like with my son. They, apparently, one of the first questions they asked my wife after they diagnosed it is, are you interested in medications? And right off that, no, <laughs> he, you know, it, it's not that serious. We will deal with it if he, you know, I, I don't believe you need to medicate for everything in the site. Right. And there does seem to be a logic. Oh, we've diagnosed you with some sort of mental Ill, mental issue. Let's go and give you some drugs to fix it. That's a pretty personal thing. I, I got to say. I mean, yeah. that there everybody has different tolerances for that too. And 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 once again, you know, we're treating we're treating individuals who are not always consistent. Right. So in keeping with the theme of the whole podcast episode, the DSM seems to be losing credibility yeah. as the science evolves. Sure. But is it is it what is it losing credibility as a research tool or as a diagnostic tool? I think it has to have I think you have to have the labels as placeholders for now until we have more um, biometrics. So in a separate science based medicine article, Stephen Novella sums up the credibility problem by saying um if I'm being hopeful, I see this current controversy as a sign that psychiatry is ready to push through to the next level, more evidence-based and more biologically informed categories and diagnoses. The DSM is a necessary placeholder, but that means its reign must end one day, and that will not represent failure, but progress. I think that's a really, I just think we're at a, at an evolutionary intersection right now. Sure. I still think that it makes sense to, to use it as a research tool because sure. you can say, I'm researching this, even though this may end up being three different things in the end. But that's what that research is for is to, is to break those things down and establish that. But as a diagnostic tool, I, 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 I don't know that we should chuck it, but it should be, it's a tool and it should be used properly. Right. In the yeah, context of every individual situation. Exactly. And the, yeah. yeah. Right. And don't rush into the, the saying you have this just because you're having an off day. <laughs> you know, take your time and really get to know the person before you decide they are screwed up. Yeah. Right. All right. So I, I guess, I, I mean, I think that it seems like we pretty well covered this. Is anything, does anybody have anything else that they need to say about any of these situations? Vaccinate your kids, no matter what McCarthy <laughs> said. Okay. <laughs> well, we can we can all get behind that. Yeah. Um, That's been proven to be the best. And yourselves, adults are yeah. often lacking in, in boosters. So yeah. check with your doctor. I I heard something yesterday about just on on the subject of vaccinations. I guess there are there are mild cases of mumps hitting kids who've been vaccinated, but. Those mild cases are becoming serious cases for kids who have not been vaccinated. Right. Well, that's and, that's true of the flu as well. That people yeah. who get the vaccine usually it, they could even if they still get the flu, it's usually not as bad. And that's so that's not uncommon with these vaccinations. There are individual levels of uptake. So how I respond, how my body uh, defends itself against um, an infection that I've been you know vaccinated for is going to be different than someone else's individual uptake. It's not a hundred percent for anybody. Yeah. But our bodies are all different, so the way we respond to things is going to be different. Sure. All right. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else? Then 
All right. Well, I think we're good. Good work in this one. Say goodnight, everybody. Good night. Goodnight. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 